wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. In Isaiah, the whirlwind is, is used in a more positive sense. You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. So the image of the whirlwind is not one that is unique to Job. It's one that comes also in the prophets. It's one that is found throughout the, the Old Testament scriptures. But the whirlwind gives this challenge to the theologians. The theologians being Job, those who have come to comfort him, those who are around him. But listen, everybody who speaks about God is a theologian. If you speak about God, theos, God, logos, word, logoi, words, words about God, theology. So if you speak about God, whether you have a degree, a master's of divinity, master of arts in theology, whether you teach Sunday school or not, whether you have a license to preach or not, if you speak about God, you are a theologian putting words together about God. And here's the thing. We might speak true words about God, words that are accurate, that, that matter, that mean something, or we may speak words about God that are in error. And when the whirlwind comes... This wind that comes sometimes in judgment, sometimes in salvation, we recognize the powerlessness of our own words in the presence of the God of whom we speak. And the one who has been speaking, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? We might say things like, you know, after that conversation, I really felt enlightened. You learned something. You, you know something that you didn't know before. An enlightening conversation is one that is good and helpful. The flip side of that is, I talked to him for an hour, and I am more in the dark than I have been in three years. God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man and I will question you and you will declare to me. Those who have spoken about God and those who have spoken for God and those who have questioned God and those who have defended God suddenly come to encounter God. I often hear people say things like, you know, when I get to heaven, I've got a few questions that I have for God that I'm going to have him answer for me right away. I think to myself, I don't think that's the experience Isaiah had when he saw the Lord and said, woe is me for I I'm a sinful man, and I come from a sinful people. I don't think that's the experience that Job and his friends had. In fact, 
I, I think more of the experience that, that these people had uh, is described in Hebrews. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is bigger, more powerful, holier, more amazing, more magnificent than we could ever, ever imagine. And our encounters with God will probably not leave us feeling cocky or strong, but humble, small, recognizing that only by the grace of God may we stand in the presence of God. So God asks, do you understand the earth's design? Like, I know that you all have been talking for a long time, and, and you've been talking about many different things and why bad things happen to people, and you've got your opinions, and you've kind of kicked your heels in and, and, and are standing up for, for what you've said, and none of you have really changed your mind except to get angrier and angrier. But do you really understand everything that's going on here? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? I think this is one of the most beautiful verses. Almost as if if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, when, when Narnia is sung into existence, it's, it's a, literary, a literary way of, of talking about the same theme from Job. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Job and his friends know a lot less than they thought they did. Job and his friends know less about how the world works than they imagine that they do. And just in this chapter alone, God just, in, in block after block after block of material, He says, who made the limits of the sea and the presence of the land? How, how is it that the land and the sea have become separate? What about this rhythm of day and night and the dawn that returns anew each morning? What about the unknowns in the sea and the mystery of death and the presence of people and continents that Job and his friends could never have known about or imagined? What about this mystery between light and darkness? How God uses snow, hail, and wind to alter the courses of history. What about the water cycle? How evaporation goes up into the atmosphere, which then collects around dust and falls back to the ground as rain. Or how as the temperatures change, there is dew on the ground. What about the earth's rotation and the appearance of the constellations regularly in the skies in the right seasons? God's question to Job, can you govern the natural world? 
God doesn't chide Job. He's not so much angry with Job as he is reminding Job of his own limitations. Job can't even make it rain, much less can he design or control all of the structures in this cosmos. Job can't even make it rain, and God is in charge of feeding the birds of the air. God is in charge of feeding the beasts in the field and creating the flower in the desert that no human eye will ever see. Pay attention to the poetry of these verses in Job 38. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you call lightning like you call your dogs? so that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Now, one of the amazing things to me is that we are creatures who can think, but we are also creatures who can think about thinking. We are creatures who know we think, and who can consider our thoughts about our thoughts. On the back of the bulletin today, we've got some, some cognitive uh, things that, that I have looked at this past week and shared with you. Catastrophizing, for example. I can say, nobody's going to like me after next week. And then I can think about that. I can say, well, you might feel bad at this moment, but that might not be true. I can put a label on it. That's catastrophizing. And I know that that's not the best way to think. And I can reject my tendency to catastrophize by saying, you know, my thought is not true. At least Melinda will like me. And if she doesn't, my dog will. Our dogs don't think that way. Our dogs probably think, I could tell you I have a smart dog. I'd be lying. Um, although my dog is smart enough that somehow she knows when a walk is about to happen. She knows before we say it. She knows before we move that way. She just knows before a walk is going to happen. But she doesn't think about her knowing. She doesn't think about her thoughts. She just thinks. But we... Creatures made in the image of God who have the wisdom placed in our inward parts and understanding of the mind. We are those who have received God's great gifts. Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? How many clouds are outside? If you go out on a cloudless day, you can say, that's easy, zero. Then you wait 15 minutes and two clouds have appeared. You wait 15 more minutes and there might be seven. Wait a little longer and you can't even see the sky anymore and then suddenly the sky is cloudless again. Who keeps track of that, Job says? Who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? 
Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Out of the whirlwind, God speaks. And out of the whirlwind, God can speak to us because there is a lot of things that happen to us that we wish would not happen. There are a lot of things that happen in this world and in our families and in our community that we wish wouldn't happen. And they happen for reasons we can't understand. Just a couple of examples. Joseph, now we can kind of understand why his brothers didn't like him. If you had siblings, you know that if one of them came in and announced, I had a dream last night, I was standing up, and you all bowed down to me because I'm that much better than you. You understand how that would go over. And you would think that he'd probably have learned a little bit about it, but no, he said, you know, I had another dream, and... All of you and mom and dad bowed down before me. Isn't that great? What an amazing thing. Joseph, for all of his faults, sold into slavery to the Egyptians, falsely accused of assault, thrown into prison. There's a lot that can happen that we might wish wouldn't happen for reasons we may not understand. And Jesus, Jesus, the one man in whom there are two natures. In the single person of Jesus, there is the nature that is fully human and the nature that is fully divine. Jesus who prays in the garden. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want but what you want. Now you get that if you've been in church your whole life. Um, But people who read the Bible for the first time often ask me, okay, tell me about this cup. (laughs) Now it's not a literal cup, it's a metaphorical cup. It is that which is set before you that you must endure. It is a metaphor for that which you must take in whether you want to or not. Jesus, fully God, fully human, Praise to the Father. Let this cup pass from me if it is possible, but not what I want, but what you want. Which brings us to the gospel of the suffering God. God has not left us with the wisdom of Job and his friends alone. God has given us the gospel of the suffering second person of the Trinity. Philippians puts it this way, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. The suffering God in the fullness of his humility 
is obedient to the point of death. Now, the conclusion of Matthew's gospel shows what happens then after Jesus is humble to the point of death. Jesus comes and says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully human, Jesus' obedience to death, even death on a cross, means that all authority is His. And His people, no matter how suffering comes, and how deep that suffering gets, His people are continually on his heart. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No matter how bad it gets, And we all know that suffering can drive people toward God or away from God. And perhaps the best time to, to think about what that's going to do in your life, in your heart, is not in the midst of suffering, but is while God has given you the idea to think about it. To think about it because Jesus has made this promise. that regardless of what happens, if you are one of Jesus' people, nothing and no one will ever snatch you from his hand. And Paul says, in the way that is unforgettable, Paul says, in light of the gospel, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Job suffers. Job seeks God. And God reminds Job that his understanding is partial. Job doesn't get the clarity that he seeks. But he does encounter the whirlwind. And he sees the God of whom he has spoken. And that God has revealed himself to us as love.
Our sufferings will take us different places. But if we live long enough, we will suffer. Loss, disappointment, loneliness, anguish. Will we have the faith to believe that nothing in all creation will separate us from God's love? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh God, we come to you today, some of us having suffered and even the thought can bring tears to our eyes. Others recognize these things that we hold so tentatively to that can disappear in a moment. Lord, in our pain and in our fear, reach out to us and give us the strength of character and the strength of faith to believe that whatever befalls us, we are in your hand. You are our shepherd and we are the sheep who hear your voice. And nothing can ever separate us from your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.